On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, I acted like God and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. When do you stop petting a wolf that's eating your family and these freaking prosperity heretics just won't stop? Thank God. It is episode nine. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor at Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. Episode 9 is dedicated to Michael Jackson, because I sound like him today because my voice is going out. Listen, we want wisdom. We don't want to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. It's all about love. I'm joking around. Hi, Pastor Dustin. (laughs) (laughs) No, today's episode... Today's episode is dedicated to heretics because they force us to clarify our doctrine and they force us to establish our priorities. And when they get exposed, God gets lots of glory and I get to laugh a little bit. So it's good all the way around. Over the course of uh, Christian history, guys, I just want you to know heretics have done more good for the church than Satan would care to admit. And I just want to take a minute and, and rub that in. So what they intend for evil God intends for good, so thank you, guys. I'm not going to say we love you because we don't, but, um, you know, thank you. you. You've benefited us greatly even when trying to do the contrary. So let's get into a Proverbs devotion. Here we go. Ben, how many uh, seasons do you think I can milk this same bumper music for? Man, you gotta you, you got to be economical, man. Just be frugal. <laughs> Four, five. Wow. All right. This is good stuff. It is. Yeah. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So you know what's cool about God? What? Well, I don't know. I was just thinking like, I probably just shouldn't narrow that to one thing. I phrased that wrong. You know one thing that's really cool about God? There, that was less heretical. (laughs) Since we're dedicating this whole thing to heretics, me. Okay, one thing that's really cool about God is that he wrote things in nature to help us understand him. So, for example, uh, marriage helps us understand Christ's relationship with his church. It says this in Ephesians 5 and other places. Uh, The way that the leaves die and come back to life every year, it helps us understand that God causes life to come out of death. Having babies helps you understand how God sees you. And so that last one in particular is the theme of this particular proverb, right? So like if you look at the first line and the last line, the first line is, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. The last line is uh, a father, this is like a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And so here you have a good dad saying, hey, God is like a bigger, better version of me. Now, I got to be careful when I say that because I'm always harping on the fact that like God is not a better version of you. He is holy. He is different. He is other. That being said, he did write little prophecies into nature so that we can have categories for understanding certain attributes of his. And so it's like, okay, dads, this is our job description and moms too. Our job is our job was created by God to create categories in our kids heads by which they can understand a relationship with God. So on one hand, it's like, how scary is that, right? But we, we we model God for our kids. So once you get past the whole yikes factor of it, then that's a really cool thing, actually. And 
at this point I could, I could stop and take it two directions, right? I could either pound you for not being a better uh, or maybe even a perfect representation of the character of God, or I could give you some instruction that's actually helpful. So option a to pound you for not being perfect would be like this. Uh, you know, everybody wears a t-shirt that advertises what they're about. Civil war guys will say, this is what a civil war buff looks like. And that'll be written on their t-shirt. Harley guys will say, you know, they have a t-shirt that says Harley Davidson. It's like, this is what a Harley guy looks like. And so as parents created in the image of God, and then having the job of the function of carrying out God's attributes in the home, you're wearing a t-shirt in front of your kids all the time that says, this is what God looks like. And you suck at it. So do better. Okay, now that would be option A. I could do that as a Baptist preacher. Yeah, that would be my go-to move. It's kind of written into my DNA. But I'm not going to do that because that wouldn't be helpful. It's legalistic. It's anti-gospel. And frankly, it's annoying. So I'm going to go with option B. Here's option B. Helpful input. Okay, parents, look at how Solomon gets at this. He tells his his, uh, kid to look at him and then look past him and see God there. So think of it this way. Kids always look at their parents at a 45 degree angle, or maybe better put like this. They always look for an example at a 45 degree angle upward. So when they're learning to walk, they look up at a 45 degree angle and they see their parents. They see their parents in the middle of their body. They're towering and they take up the kid's entire field of vision. And so if you say to the kid, well, who's your boss? Well, they're going to look up at a 45 degree angle and they're going to see you standing there and they're going to point at you. And there's really no doubt who they're pointing to. But then when the kid is 11 or 12, their shoulder height for you. Now they look up at a 45 degree angle and they can see their parents, but they can see over them a little bit as well. They can start to see that there's something behind them. It's not all about them. There are other sources of authority. And then by the time they're 16, they're the same height as you, maybe taller. And when they look for an example, they're just looking right over your head. And it's not that they can't see their parents. It's not that they don't love their parents. It's just that they're not looking to their parents as the final authority like they used to. And this is God's plan for things, right? And so if they're going to look for an example, they're going to wind up looking over your head. Okay, so we all know this, and we all know that this is you know, painful. There's a lot of you know, sadness involved in it for parents and, and loss and whatever, but it's also good, and we all know that. And we've all lived it. Many of us have lived on both sides of this, some of us only on one side so far. But here's the thing that Solomon knows that we need to know. Parents can't make themselves taller, right? They can't extend their authority over their children. And when they try, stuff gets really weird and abusive. But they can pick who to exalt in front of their kids. We can't make our kids look to us as their authority their whole lives, but we can train them from a young age to look past us and find a good example. You're even a better example than us. And that's the gig when we have young kids. We got to tell them, I'm not always going to be here but God will. I don't always make the right decisions, but God does. And everything I do for you, he does better. And it's really, it's really true. We give them biological life. He gives them eternal life. We give them discipline when they are kids. He gives them discipline and guidance their whole lives. We feed them peanut butter sandwiches and apple juice, and he gives them the bread of life and living water without cost. We listen to their hurts, their joys, their needs, but he hears their prayers and the cry of their heart. He will intercede for them with groanings too deep for words. That's something that we can't do. I mean, we can, we can pray for them for sure, but we don't actually see their hearts. We've got insight. We don't have direct access. So yes, we are our kids' example, but we're an example of God and we are to do like Solomon and spend our time pointing to him. We are imperfect and temporary. He, he's neither. So there's a lot in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. All I want to bring out today is 
if you've got kids or if you've got little grandkids, that's the job. Point past yourself to God and train them to be dependent on him even when they are no longer dependent on you. With that, I bring in the bearded beaver. How you doing, Ben? Doing well, sir, and yourself? Doing great, doing great. Is that actually, like, true? I ask you how you're doing. That's not small talk. I want to know how you're doing, and I want you to tell everybody on the internet how you are. I'm good. I have the, I have the gift yeah. of discernment, so don't lie to me. No, I'm doing just fine. Man. I don't know if I have the gift of discernment. I don't think yeah. I do. I actually told Ben yesterday, I think that I used to have the gift of discernment, and God took it away from me. That's, that's my theory on the matter. <laughs> but we're not laying down theology on spiritual gifts and whether or not they get taken away or not. Not at least on this podcast. No, no. We're just making observations and saying, I used to be a lot smarter than I am. Maybe that's just age. You know what? That could be the wisdom that comes with age. You, maybe you thought you were 100% right all the time, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're realizing, you know what? Not so much anymore. I was just 100% confident in my stupidity. Oh, my oh. gosh. Hold on, hold on. Wait for it. Wait, I got it. No, that's not it. Stop it. Oh. Yeah. Nope, got to hit that. There we go. There we are. After much travail and tribulation, I finally get my drop. Boom. All right. That's it. Right. Okay. There. So we got, uh, for this is and that's this week, we've got uh, um, a couple of questions. We got three of them. I, I, you know, cut it off at three. Actually, we got four. I normally cut it off at three. I accidentally snuck in an extra one here. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky condemnation. All right. So here, let me let me have you read that. So Tim transcribed this question that came in over the Anchor um, platform. Somebody left an audio message, and Tim transcribed it for us. This was at the end of season one. So whoever wrote this, I have no idea who this is. I'm very sorry that it took us so long to get to it, uh, but here we go. So we're just going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit long. It's, a, let's say, two paragraphs long, and um, we'll, uh, we'll read it out. We'll kick it around. Ben, what do we got? All right, so here we go. And I, I'm going to apologize in advance if uh, if I misrepresent this, so please, please uh, hold me with a little bit of grace here as I read this. Hello, Don't worry, Beth. man. It's it's all about love here. Yeah, but I'm going to read. I'm not going to read it in my Michael. Okay, Michael. Jackson. No Barry White. No Barry White. Well, I might do Barry White. There we go. You no, that's uh, what's for Lou Rawls, right? Lou Rawls. You'll never find. <laughs> right. Okay. So, hello, Pastor Sonny. I'm having a hard That's time. Me. I'm That's sorry. Right. Go ahead. All right. I'm having a hard time kind of being stuck going back and forth. And I need some advice helping my husband's family. His mother and sisters attend the congregation of a controversial pastor rising to fame in Tennessee. When I first heard about the church, I immediately said we were not comfortable attending because a man who I knew was Catholic spoke in their place of worship at a political rally. Also, upon investigating, I found the pastor unfit to hold the office due to Titus 1.6. Whenever my husband or I try to speak to them about fishy things in their, uh, that their pastor says or does, they make up excuses for him and defend him, and he, and he calls it the spirit of suspicion. The pastor says things that sound, and they are prosperity gospel, and Christian nationalistic, and yet he denounces all of those movements. Anyway, the main point of my struggle now is that they have moved as a church into the focus of deliverance from demons and spirits. I do believe that there's demonic presence in demonic presence in the world, and people do still get possessed. But I have found I have not found in the scriptures, um, I, I have not found in the scriptures that. uh, any case of a Christian being possessed, even though 
the church says a Christian can't fully be possessed. They are currently having meetings of 150 people in a room to be mass delivered. So again, if, if you didn't follow that, that basically the pastor's saying that a Christian can't be fully possessed, but they are currently having these meetings of 150 people in a room to be mass delivered. And the pastor has even claimed to have spoken to a demon who told him the name of six witches in his church. That was nice of him. I know, isn't that great? You know, they let, that's kind of like a double agent demon right there. Yeah, the demon did him a solid. Golly, he is a very convincing speaker. And from what I the, have The listened, demon or the pastor? <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, I'm assuming the pastor from the context okay. here. He's a very convincing speaker. And from what I have listened to, he has the gospel message actually correct. So basically where I am right now is A, I have been taught wrong all my life. And there are several things that we that I can get delivered from or B this is a very dangerous place and we need to rescue my family before things turn into a cult. So if you could please speak to the topic of Christians being mass delivered from evil spirits, that would be great. And, um, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have time, no hard feelings. We do have time. I'm we sorry it took us so long to get there. Plenty of time. Yeah, because there was plenty in that question. Oh, dang. All right. So we got a guy who's controversial. No problem there. Rise, I mean, necessarily. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it happens. Um, and he's rising to fame. Not necessarily mm-hmm. a problem there, but we start wondering if he's pursuing it, because if that's what he wants, that's bad. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we want to decrease Christ increase. Um, we're not always in control of that, but we don't want to be increasing our own brand. Okay, yeah. so then he had a Catholic speaking at the church at a political rally. And now he's mass delivering rooms full of people from demonic partial possession yeah got it okay so i'm also pro- there's he's he'll say things that are that sound uh prosperity gospel ish but okay. he would denounce the prosperity gospel at least from the pulpit and christian nationalism and he says things that are christian nationalistic and yet denounces christian nationalism got it i'm gonna throw a word out there that summarizes everything i'm thinking distracted Mm-hmm. okay so here, here's what i'm thinking if you got i mean i'm thinking a lot more than that than that only some of it is worth saying out loud um if you've got a guy who is who and some of this is the fault of the church at large we will elevate people that are charismatic and call them gifted even if they're not qualified so titus 1 6 you know he's got to be above reproach husband of one wife have faithful children um you know and so on okay so even if they're not qualified we'll say yeah but they're gifted and our pragmatic uh criteria takes over and we say god's using him better put him in a pulpit and sometimes these guys aren't they're not qualified, right? They get puffed up and they fall into the condemnation of the devil or they're novices in the faith or in, in, in doctrine and practice or things yeah. like that. So it, it sounds like from this one description here, and I don't know, we only know one side of it. Um, it, it sounds like he's grabbing at everything that he thinks at the moment, right? We've got, we've got shifting shadows. We've got um, maybe even shifting alliances. Um, you're getting distracted with politics and then letting somebody like we're letting a Catholic come in, somebody with a different gospel message that affirms a different gospel and hand them a microphone and then moving into new phases of ministry surrounding the supernatural and, you know, interviewing demons and stuff. This, this sounds like somebody who is easily distracted and tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Yes. Um, maybe not. I, I, I don't think there's enough there to say this person is a heretic. You need to run. But I think there's plenty there that if even half of this is correct, somebody needs to go to that pastor, and we'll talk about the family in a minute, but somebody needs to go to that pastor and say, 
bro, you are running straight into gunfire. You need to stop. You need to step back and get discipled because you're going to hurt yourself and a lot of people if you haven't already. That's th- that, that's my gut reaction. Yeah, I think my and and maybe again, this is all all uh, first blush. Um, probably a little bit more shooting from the hip. Yep. In that, um, I would be concerned, and the reason I would be concerned is I've I've been around different ministries where you know if guys are all of a sudden getting messages from demons and they are acting upon them, um, or they are that's are great claiming point. or they're claiming to have spiritual knowledge and insight. Um, that uh, either contradicts or goes or 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 adds to the scripture. I would I would definitely put the brakes on that. And and when it when it, I mean I've seen this whether it's a pastor who says you know God told me you're not supposed to leave my church. I've actually heard people tell me very plainly that their pastor sat down with them and said the Holy Spirit told me you should not leave my church. And that was. I, I, I was like, wow, that that's that's pretty direct and pretty specific, yeah. you know. And and so there's that, but but to have, but to be told and then to act upon, um, act upon, you know, some demonic testimony. I that's I I, I I'm sorry. I, I prefer my pastors not to be um, having conversations with demonic spirits. That's you know when you put it that way, <clears throat> acting on the advice of a devil or of a demon. That's just stupid. That's yeah. a really bad idea. That's a totally bad idea. Assuming that assuming that the, the pastor was reading it right, that there actually mm-hmm. was a demon who was speaking yeah. and correctly identifying, what was it, six witches yeah. in, in the church? If that actually is the situation as it was, yeah. geez, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I just, I just go to Jude, literally. That, when, I, when, yes. I, when a demon starts to sp- speak up, I'm saying, Lord, rebuke you. I, I got nothing else. I'm out. Not, not even going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just you. I don't I don't want to mess with that. I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to say God is my is my rock and my fortress. And if I just got to repeat the gospel of Jesus Christ in my head the entire time, if something (laughs) else is going on, I will do that. Yeah. Supremacy of Christ. Supremacy of Christ. Supremacy of Christ. Amen. I'm just going to read Colossians one in every language (laughs) that I have a copy of it. (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe the demon understands one of those better. Well, I I think the other thing that concerns me and, and, and I've seen this too, where you get pastors who, in some ways this could be even a manipulation, right? You know, you, you start casting, you start casting dispersion on various people in the church. What you're doing is you're, 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 you're manipulating or dividing. You're kind of, you know, conquering by division in some respects and, and you create this chaos. In fact, I even, um, you know, there, there's, there's a, a, there's actually a condition or, or some kind of psychological profile where, where, where folks control through chaos. Everything is always up in the air, and so the congregation has to have their eyes completely fixed, not on Jesus, but on the pastor themselves, so that that pastor is in charge of the church, and, and so they're, they're throwing everything up. Everything's a new thing. Um, that doesn't that isn't always the case. Sometimes that's just the mark of a of a of a younger pastor, where it's like the the latest craze, whether it's a um, you know, what's the, what are some of the ones, you know, like you get the, um, oh, purpose driven church yeah. or, or prayer Jabez or all of those various different waves that tend to come to the church. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, or even reformed theology. Totally. Right? Totally. Like, oh yeah, there, there's something here for me to grab onto. Now I am that guy. I am yeah. the reformed, the, whatever it was back in the day, the young, restless and reformed yep. pastor. Or every, every Sunday, every, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be celebrating. Um, and, and my former church did this, but we, we were, you know, 
we were the rock stars of it. <laughs> but <laughs> but where it's like, oh, no, every Halloween is Reformation Day, and yeah. we're going to have a Reformation. We're going to do Reformation Month and Reformation Year. And, 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 and it's like they grab onto that stuff, which is fine. I, dude, I love the Reformation. Yeah, and you can have some fun with it. I got a buddy, yeah. actually, our buddy Tim, he, uh, he hosted a Reformation Day party in uh, it was in 2017 at the 500 year anniversary Mm -hmm. and they had um they had a bowl of gummy worms for the diet of worms and they had a bowl of um there's a that's awesome it was great they were drinking german beer they had a uh uh, a bowl of martin luther's insults and every time there was a lull in the conversation you would go over grab an insult and just read it out loud and (laughs) that is phenomenal they were all showing up with hammers and nails and stuff it was it was fantastic i loved it Anyway, you were saying. So I just think that, you know, you, you, if you sometimes guys like this, they'll keep the congregation off balance. And and that's and so I because would say that's they get, to be, they get to be the stabilizing force. Exactly. I'm the guy that has the wisdom to cut you through these turbulent waters. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that would be. And again, this is me totally being absolutely judgmental. But again, I, I tend to be a little bit more. Oh, shall I dare say, uh, protective yep. of Jesus and Jesus's bride? Yeah. Worst you know? case scenario, what you've got here. Well, that's not the worst case scenario. What you may have here is a fireman starting a fire, so he can be the one to put it out. Yeah, and be seen as the hero. Well, and and again, a dude talking to demons. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. Don't yeah. do it. Agreed. Yeah. Um. So, when at what point then should this person writing in the question? encourage their family to just bolt and get a little more aggressive about the suggestion or should they at all? I mean, you know, there, uh, there's an adage and I'm going to, I'm going to modify it a little bit just because I don't want to put and make any, I don't want to be disparaging towards anybody, but someone of someone convinced against their will is of the same opinion still, you know? And, and so if you, if, if you try and convince somebody of something and they are unwilling to hear it, sometimes, honestly, the, the, you sit there and you pray, and I know this is hard, watching family members go through something very, very difficult and, and trying to convince them, hey, there is a better way. Um, sometimes it's it's actually just preparing yourself to be ready to pick up the pieces when the things yep. fall apart. There you go. Yeah, maintain trust and, and a good relationship. Because honestly, if you don't have any access to speak into it, then you're banging your head against a wall at a certain point, right? And exactly. so the best thing you can do is create yourself, uh, position yourself as... The, the padding on which they will fall. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Thank, boy, thank you for that question. That was important and detailed. What else we got? Let's see. Uh, other this is and that. I think it's on. Uh, oh, it's on this paper there. right over here. So the we, next one. We are incredibly organized here at Hunger for Wisdom. You know what we need is we need an assistant. We need an administrative professional who we would celebrate on April 27th, which we learned was Administrative Professionals Day. You know, you know you're right. Hasn't the Lord delivered one? To us? You want to know what I did last night? Because I'm such a jerk. Oh, what did you do? I emailed our assistant and I said, hey, can you put April 27th as a repeating appointment on the calendar so that I remember to thank you for what you do every year, right? And she thought I was joking. So she was like, oh, that made me smile. And then I had to be like the boss. I was like, look, I'm I'm glad you got a chuckle, but you're going to do it, right? And she was like, oh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> are you, are you, all, you also want to have her like purchase her own card? And- yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna text her. And be like, listen, I need a present for my assistant. Can you like go shop for one for me? Okay, so you seriously are being the Tony Stark of I really of, of leaders right now. Yeah. Oh, tell me what I got you for for professional appreciation day. Yeah, and then you know I'll have her forge my signature on the card, and it's gonna work. So next question: um, Has Benny Hinn actually repented? How about Joyce Meyer? How about Todd? white listen i can't answer this stuff until you properly appreciate the leadership 
uh, wisdom that you just gained from me. Why don't you just make an appointment on my calendar to remind me to appreciate your leadership? <laughs> All right, fine. We'll, we'll move are, on. We are spicy today. I wasn't. I wasn't done stroking my own ego yet. All right. So, yeah. Um, has Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, and Todd Bentley actually repented? All right. Background on this. Um, there was a wave of prosperity heretics uh, claiming that they had repented. Now, we want to think the best of people as much as possible, and we also don't want to be stupid. We want to be wise as serpents and yet harmless as doves. No! No! Benny Hinn has not repented. All right. Let me tell you how I know this. I know this because people send me videos. And after after I did uh, an interview on this podcast with Justin Peters, who, you know, runs the whole, like the, what is it, Living Water Ministries or something, where they follow these guys and they they watch Doggum, essentially. Um, I, uh, I, I get sent this stuff now because they're like, oh, you're friends with Justin Peters. I'm not. I talked to him one time on the interview. But, I mean, I appreciated the interview. But, um Anyway, they send me stuff now that he's doing, and so I, I keep up with a little bit of it here and there as I have time. And so he just did this thing, which was like, hey, did Benny Hinn actually repent? I mean, he may have recorded it, you know, three months ago. I don't know. But um, it was he just showed some clips of his uh, his latest sermons. And guys, it's the same old crap. It really is. He, he said what happened was Benny Hinn came out and said, I do not even believe the things I used to believe anymore. You know, I, I will never say again, so a $1,000 seed of faith, and God will bless it. I will not do it. Because I do not believe it. And then I was like, all right, good. Let's see if he actually cancels his his gigs now. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the poison, man. And so, yeah, pudding. I'm sorry. No, it's poison. Well, yeah, tomato, tomato in this case. So uh, in, his, in his new sermons, he's not saying the $1,000 thing anymore. It's worse. It's worse. You know what, what Homeboy did? Are you talking about inflation now? <laughs> no, the seat the seat is inflated now. So oh, I like, get what you're saying. No, yeah. it's it's he shifted. He shifted oh, battlegrounds. Really? Okay, so now instead of financial blessing being a reward for faith, now it's a it's a hedge against danger. The, uh, your your contributions to his ministry are a hedge against financial danger. So he said, "There's a war in Ukraine. the The global economy could collapse overnight, but God will protect the faithful. So be faithful." And give to the work of God. You know, I don't have a bleep button here, Ben. But other than that, yeah, say what you're thinking. That's that was the problem right there. <laughs> we can't make this an explicit podcast, but dang, dude, yeah, your uh, your face just went Oregon State Beavers color. Right that might be your proudest moment, actually. I wish I had got a picture of that. So no, Benny Hinn has not repented. He rebranded. That's that's all yeah. that happened. It, it was, it's the same stuff. And he's a liar. Um, yeah, Joyce Meyer. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. Here's here's something to look out for because I, like I don't I don't have time for the Christian TMZ. I can't keep up on all the gossip. I don't care. Um, I, I care in so far as we got to protect people, but I'm not following these guys around. Um, Joyce Meyer and who was the other one? Uh, Todd White. Todd White. Um, I don't know. Todd White. He preached a sermon that I listened to after he you know, supposedly repented and it was good. It sounded like genuine, legit gospel realization. He even made the comment. He was like, I started reading stuff written by this guy from a long time ago. His name was like Spurgeon or something. Have you guys heard of this guy? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. So he laid out the gospel and the deficiencies in 
his own gospel message. What I didn't hear him do was renounce the practices of Amen. the, um, you know, the, the, the trickery and the, the fake miracles with the leg lengthening and all that stuff that was shown on the American gospel. So he may have done that. I don't know. But here's stuff to watch out for with Joyce Meyer or Todd White or whatever. Watch for them foregoing their mechanisms of profit making. Okay, if Joyce Meyer comes out with another book and it's not an absolute renunciation of her previous books, it's not repentance; it's rebranding. If um, you know one thing now, to Todd White's credit, maybe this might be a good sign. And again, I haven't kept up with him; I haven't heard anything from him since. Like nobody's nobody's asking me lately. Like, hey, have you heard what Todd White said? Which they used to do before. And so, if he's getting quiet, that's a good thing, right? If he's not attention seeking, if he's like shutting his mouth and getting discipled rather than being a teacher then he doesn't want to be the blind leading the blind. That would be a good sign. So those are some things to watch out for, um, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, look for the pattern of repentance that we saw in Zacchaeus, right? I mean, go. He, you know, Jesus walked into his, to his house, right? And then he said, okay, if I've defrauded anybody, then I'm going to go over and above to, to, to pay them back. And so you'll see that kind of repentance from a, like a, a Joyce Myers or a Ty White. Would they be willing to renounce and to, and to give up, give up their wealth as a result of the wealth that they got or give it away to missions versus mm-hmm. hire, you know, buying their next jet or yeah. anything like and that. And I don't know if Todd White was actually wealthy, but the principle there still applies. Yeah. And, and you know what Zacchaeus didn't do? He didn't make his own legs longer. You would be correct. Yeah. He was a short man. Next question. <clears throat> so, do you think the Pope believes he's serving God? Or do you think he has already come to realize that he's not serving God and carrying on anyway? I ask because it seems too obvious that he's affirming to all religions. Okay, stop the recording. This is future Dustin coming at you. I actually stepped back into the studio uh, because I realized that what I said in answer to that question was pretty heavily leaning on some context that I didn't think was going to come across in uh, you know in the, that podcast conversation that we had. So let me give my same answer again, and I'll tell you what I said, but with the context, it's going to make it make sense. I just blew that one, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go lay down another track. Here we go. So future Dustin says, does the Pope... Has the Pope realized that he's serving Satan? Has he repented? Does he know? Or is he, you know, un, unaware of the whole thing? My answer was, it doesn't really matter um, what what is going through his head in the moment. Now, I said this in a giant rant because I get this question a lot as a setup. And a lot of times it's a setup which basically ends with whatever my answer is. It's like, well, so do you hate my Catholic grandma? Like, do you think my grandma's burning in hell? Does that make you laugh right now? And I'm just like, dude, that's, that's not cool. Not, you know. So I, I get a little bit chippy about this question. But what I'm about to lay out here, which is the, the same answer that I gave you know, live, is this is the, the pushback that every Protestant has against the Pope. So sometimes you know, Protestants like us will get set up to be like you know, Pope haters or whatever. No, we're just clear about the Bible, man. And not every Catholic understands every perversion of the gospel that the Roman Catholic structure throws down. So, you know, I know there are a lot of people that would faithfully attend a Catholic mass and they would, you know, go there and and worship and whatever. 
And then if you come away and you ask them, hey, who is Jesus and how are we saved? Their answer is going to be very much like ours because they haven't downloaded the uh, all of the, the extra stuff and the, the traditions which lead people away from the gospel. And there's a lot of that in Roman Catholicism, right? So uh, if, if that stuff kind of falls off the side because the teaching ministry of their particular parish is not very strong, then there are Catholics that are born-again Christians because they actually believe a gospel, not because they... they got it from Rome, but because they've interacted with enough scripture that God is, is, you know, he's been gracious to them to put a gospel together in their head. It was said by some of the reformers that, you know, when they looked at the the Roman Catholic religious structure, they said, underneath all of that rubble, there are Christians somewhere, you know, and I totally believe that. I agree with it. So anyway, the, the thing with the Pope is that essentially I laid out where you got to commit triple blasphemy just to take the job, right? So Matthew 23, I believe it's verse 9, he says, Jesus says, let no man call you father. You have one father and he's in heaven. Now, I understand also that Paul calls himself the father of Onesimus, meaning he led Onesimus to Christ. And so you got to contextualize what Jesus was talking about there. And what he was saying was to the Pharisees or to the people in the presence of the Pharisees, don't let anybody be your final uh, authority as far as what you need to do to come back to God. You have one final religious authority and one person who can who can give the final word on what God requires for a relationship with him. And that person is nobody other than God himself. So you have one final authority. When the Pope sets himself up as the final authority, and he says, whatever comes out of my mouth on church doctrine is the final word. That's the word of God. When I speak ex cathedra, it is infallible. You know, when I speak from the church or on behalf of the church, that's infallible. That is doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. The word Pope means father, and he is referred to as the Holy Father. So he's violating that text in so many different ways. And then, you know, Jesus is in Hebrews 4 and 5 called the high priest of the church. Well, the Pope takes that title and function for himself. He calls himself the vicar of Christ or the presence of Christ on earth. So he gets to work. God works, maybe you would say, vicariously, or he works vicariously for God. And you can hear the word vicar right in there. Well, you know, the farewell discourse gives uh, gives that function specifically to the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, Jesus says, I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to continue my work in you, and the church will go out and accomplish things. But for one guy to say, I am the vicar of Christ, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. So he's claiming the title and function of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is why I say you have to commit triple blasphemy just to take the job. So repentance would look like repudiating all of that. And until that happens, I'm not too concerned to speculate what he knows or what's motivating him or any of that. So now you're going to hear Pastor Ben come back in and read Galatians 1. Oh, and I, I forgot to tell you, he uh, Pastor Ben responds here with... Um, yeah, hey, but Dustin, you just called the Pope a demon. Uh, did I actually say that? Well, here's the answer. Yes, I totally did. Because I was thinking of Galatians 1, which Pastor Ben is about to read, where it says that, like, listen, when you pervert the gospel, when you've got a different way of salvation or a works-based salvation, when that's happening, it's demonically empowered. And so there might be, I mean, the Pope could be possessed for all I know. I have no idea. Never met the guy. But um, you know, it is a demonically empowered departure from the gospel. So yeah, without, without, uh, you know, anathematizing anybody's, uh, traditionally Catholic grandmother, we need to go pretty hard at the Pope because these are gospel issues. Okay. Future Dustin out. I'm cutting back into present day. Pastor Ben. 
And for those of you less reactionary folks that would be listening to this podcast, going uh, maybe clutching some pearls that that uh, Dustin called the leader, Pastor Dustin called the leader of uh, the Roman Church a demon. Let me read to you from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter one, verse eight. Hold on, you're saying this is less reactionary? No, I'm saying you did. I'm saying this. No, it's not less reactionary. I'm actually saying it's more reactionary. <laughs> Uh, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, he's spilling twice as much ink and wasting twice as much parchment to say, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul has some pretty strong language. If there is someone who is teaching a gospel contrary to salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, then it is some. This is something that I mean, the reformers fought this fifteen hundred years ago and spilt their blood. This is something to which we need to be able to have a strong answer for. Now, I don't know the man's heart. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't. Go ahead. Okay. I don't. Okay. But. Whatever is going on there, it is contrary to whatever whatever has been written is and it's contrary to the scriptures, contrary to the gospel. Then I think the words of Paul seem to be pretty clear. Let him be accursed. I think you know the man's heart, and the reason I say that is because I I, I understand why we say this is typical Christians, and it's a good thing to remind ourselves of. We can't see the heart, right? It's First Samuel fifteen. Man, uh, fifteen. Man looks at the out. Sixteen. Man looks at the outward yeah. appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, I get that. We also have the book of Galatians, specifically chapter five, which says the works the of the, of the flesh spirit. are like this. Yeah. The fruit of the spirit is like this. That's we true. have the book of First John, which says if you do this and say that, the spirit of God does not dwell in you. So we're and, and then Jesus says you'll be known by your. They will be known by their fruits. So we we are allowed to draw conclusions. In, in other words, we have the keys of the kingdom and. We are able to bind and loose things on earth that have been bound and loosed in heaven. And we have every ability and responsibility and the spiritual power to stand in front of the gates of heaven and say, no, this is not your home. So we, we can know the heart in that yeah. sense. Maybe we can't know what his desires are. That's to what I'm getting at. Yeah. And at that point, I would say, who cares? This is true. He, he should know better. The guy, the guy speaks five languages and his job is to read and represent the Bible full time. He should know better. I don't, yeah. I don't care what he's trying to do. I well, care what he's doing. As I recall, when he was elected, what were the first words out of his mouth? I, I don't know. May God forgive you. Speaking to who? To the to the papal conclave. Forgive him for what? For electing him. Was it a joke? I have no clue. But I was like, why would you say that? May God forgive you for electing me. What? Huh. Boy, I'm not here to necessarily propose a... You know, I'm not donning my papal tinfoil hat here. I'm just saying... <laughs> It, the guy himself is self-aware enough to go, I'm about to cause a lot of problems. Maybe you should listen. There's, there's, yeah, there's something behind that statement. I don't understand. I, I will tell you this, as far as the tinfoil hat goes, there's not a, uh, uh, there's not a conspiracy theory crazy enough about the Pope that I wouldn't give it a second hearing. Dude's shady. Yeah. Well, and they have, they don't have tinfoil hats. They have those big, nice, tall hats. I heard somewhere, I don't know if this is true. This is unverified information. So I figure I'll put it out on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I heard somewhere that... Uh, For entertainment purposes only. Yeah, the, the, those those uh, hats, the, the papal hat is um, based on, because it's kind of like a fish mouth, and they say it's based on uh, Dagon. It's Dagon worship, who is the fish god of, you know, the Philistines. 
So guys, yeah. have fun Googling that one, everybody. And um, whatever you find out, don't send it to me. All right, what do we got next? All right, so for our third question here. So um, the comment on the church's failure to give generously during Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal legislation is uncertain in my mind because I've heard about the generosity of people in poor communities while suffering from the Great Depression and Dust Bowl from my grandparents and great-grandparents. Can you cite some examples on how the church wasn't generous enough? Uh, I'm always asking myself if this is a Hollywood story or actually was the church not being generous enough? Good question. So this one's been on the list for a while. We did an, uh, an episode in season one where on some discussion we we said, um, okay, what what does the church have to answer for, right? And then what are we not open to the charge of? And Ben, you brought up... Um, uh, maybe a lack of generosity in some areas. And I said, yeah, we definitely got to answer for that. So this, this question then is pushing back against that. Is that just a cultural, which I appreciate the question. Is that just a cultural narrative that Christians are greedy and hoard money? Or is there something to this? Can you cite some examples? So w- what, what comes to my mind is um, not the, not your quintessential faithful pastor in the middle of Kansas during the dust bowl, right? Um, General pastoral ministry is very sacrificial, right? Um, the guys whose names you're never going to hear, the guys that don't get to start a podcast on a whim, things like that, um, that's that's normal ministry. And you, you don't hear a lot about it because it's, you know, they, they spend so much time in their prayer closet, right? And, and those guys are godly men. I'm going to be mowing their lawns in heaven someday. Now, then there's the other side of things where churches that are actual churches, I'm not talking about the, the heretical joints. I'm talking about guys that got the gospel right, but... Um, they are, they, they spend their money, uh, predominantly building the interior, right? So this is, uh, I read a, read an article years ago where a church was, uh, had just expanded their auditorium to be able to seat, you know, whatever, two and a half thousand people. And they got new theater chairs and things like that. Now the chairs were actually tipped back like those, um, uh, IMAX theaters so that you would look up at the screens rather than down at the the pulpit where the pastor was because the pastor was on the screen. So they wanted to make you comfortable, right? And so they spent, you know, however many millions of dollars, $20 million or something, uh, getting a state-of-the-art interior. And that was supposed to be something to celebrate because it was a sign of growth. And then um, in their business meeting, their annual business meeting, they celebrated that they gave $5,000 away to a missionary or to missions somehow. And that's a problem. And that thing is that that type of thing is more pervasive than it should be. I don't think that's normal by any means, but it's it's more pervasive than it should be. So sometimes we build we are open to the charge of of building the core and calling that engaging the world with the gospel, but it's yeah. distraction. Yeah, and it, this has been going on even even I mean for a long time. Church budgets don't necessarily reflect their values, um, and so that. Where, where, for example, giving towards missions might not even be five percent of the budget. Now, I'm not trying to say a fixed number, but you know, uh, you know, <clears throat> being a part of a number of different churches, you start asking yourself the question: Okay, so if I'm about to drop, uh, if I'm drop, about to drop sixty grand on a you know video system or something like that, is that going to you know? Yeah, am I am I thinking rightly or not? At least asking the question. Right. Now, some churches, because of various reasons, that you know, again, some churches, you know, they 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 have a very uh, prolific uh, ministry of spreading the word out, and the pastor's absolutely faithful, and so something which will help that certainly is is there. But I would, but even even in my former church where I was the media director, 
of. Um, Dang, they, dude, you just admitted that publicly. I, know, I totally did. Uh, I don't know anything about tech, though. I'm just telling your... you right now. I just don't know <laughs> you anything. You were a terrible media guy. I was a terrible media guy. Why do you think I'm here? Um, <clears throat> and, and then... <laughs> But uh, but there also was a, an, inc- an incredible amount of, of money given towards missions, incredible amount of time. I mean, not only that, but the, but but we would send out our pastor. Uh, they'd send out their their missions guy. They'd send out others, and so there was a lot of money and resources poured out towards that was which wasn't just getting towards the interior. And so there are a lot of those internal questions going on. Is it? it what what are our priorities and are we actually in line with our priorities? Yeah, I've um I've advised people that are moving to a new city. They say, look, how do I find a church? You know, and and how do you get to the core? Because there's so much that you discover five years down the road, and you just wish that they would have told you up front, right? And one of the things that I'll say is ask them for their budget going back five years, because um among other things, but the the budget. And I'm, I'm going to say in a different way what you were saying. So it's going to sound like I'm disagreeing for a second, but I'm getting at the same thing. <gasps> I, please don't hate me. I, the, the budget always reflects your values, but it doesn't always reflect your stated values, right? Because we, we don't always say what we believe, but yeah. we always end up paying for what we believe. So in a given year, you may have an issue that year that takes up a large amount of the budget. So last year, we spent a lot of money taking people down to Nashville for the SBC conference. That was a big chunk of change. Well, that's not one of our core values, but it was a thing we had to do in the moment. One year we, we built a children's wing and it took a lot of money, but over the course of five years or whatever, you can see somebody's priorities based on their, on their budget. And there are times where that'll get out of whack. Um, and the issues of caring for the widows and the orphans and the poor and, and, uh, the global mission and things like that. If, if those aren't reflected, if, if you're, if your stated priorities aren't reflected in your budget, now we got we got something that's a problem. I think somebody that does this really well is um, uh, Grace Community Church, Johnny Mack and the boys down there. Mm-hmm. If if you you watch one of the, one of his sermons and he's got top of the line video and he's got top of the line audio and their sermons are getting transcribed and cataloged on a top of the line website, and the interior of the church is very simple, you know, nothing extravagant about it, and so because of the fruitfulness of that media ministry for them to drop 60 grand on a video system would make sense because of the, the amount of gospel proclamation that's happening globally. And even through translators and so on, that's part of the mission, right? If you do that in order to collect more people, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, we, we got our priorities off. So yeah, I think the, the all of those things are going to happen at the expense of generosity oftentimes. And I see that happening a lot with churches. So to answer the question, the, the global church has not sacrificed its generosity. I think we are still on the front lines of crisis response when there's a hurricane, when there's an earthquake, when there's a Fukushima meltdown or whatever. It is the church that is out giving everybody and faster than everybody. Yeah. And the bride is beautiful, right? Yeah. There are screws to tighten up. Yeah. And I mean, and, and to further buttress that you get, you, you do have organizations like um, the, uh, the, I think it's SEND, the North American Missions Board, that they actually have targeted teams that will raise money and go towards these various areas where there's been some severe weather or some, uh, some kind of breakout of, uh, of, uh, or some kind of problem. Yeah. And every, every local, uh, chapter, I guess you'd call it a uh, local association of the Southern Baptist convention has a disaster relief organization. And I think they do great work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. It's out there, but we can't rest on our laurels either. Certainly. not. And we, and we need to call each other out when it happens. Cause when, cause the, the, the bad stuff is the only stuff that's visible to the, to the lost world. Yeah. Right. And so we need to get to it first. Yeah. 
Is that all we got for the questions? That is all we have. That's it. All right. Listen, Ben, I think as far as I can tell, the world is still messed up. Can I get an amen? Amen. And yet the gospel is still perfectly suited to fix it. Come on now. What? what? All right. We'll see you guys next time. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us.